I'm Jake Cornell. I'm a comedian in New York City, and for the past 10 years, I've been living and breathing the restaurant industry. This is a show where I'll be talking to comedians, actors, bartenders, chefs, and restaurant owners about all things going out. We'll talk about restaurants, bars, staying in, drinking, not drinking, and whatever else we want. This is Going Out with Jake Cornell. Welcome to another episode of Going Out with Jake Cornell. I am Jake Cornell coming to you from my couch in Edinburgh, talking through the computer to my friend and producer, Katie Brown. Hey, Hey. Jake. How's it going? It's going well. It is finally, the heat wave here has broken. It was chilly enough that I wore a sweater today. Yeah, you're rocking a full Cardi. That's intense. It's a cardigan moment. Yeah. It's my homage to Taylor Swift. Wow. Yeah. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm a little wiped. I just ran home from doing the show. So I just did the show and I'm back on my couch. How is it doing that every day? Like, is it exhausting? Is it really fun? Uh, You know, it's not exhausting. We had our first, we had, we get one day off for the whole time. And today was that day off. Um, And. But wait, you just said you came from the show. Oh, sorry. Yesterday was the day off. Yesterday was the day off. Today was our first day back from the one day off. Um, I guess I don't normally find it exhausting because I normally immediately start going like the show ends at like 715 and then we like are kind of like, okay, like let's go get dinner. Let's go see another show. Like let's get drinks. And then I'm kind of just like out the rest of the night. Right. But I had to come back and do this and I have like this other work thing I have to do. And so I think coming back from the adrenaline crash, I'm like, I'm like sorry, sleepy, but I'm going to get more energy because I do unfortunately have a show at 1am today. That you're performing in? I know. I'm doing stand-up at 1 a.m. Oh, that'll be an, that'll be a time. <laughs> yeah, I don't... It's going to be good, and I'm excited for the show, and I'm very grateful to be on it, but I um, I got asked to do it, like, a, a week ago, and I was like, oh, my God, yeah, totally, like, not really thinking, and now I'm like, that's late. Is this with, like, a new friend you met at, at the festival? No, this is actually a woman, a, a comic I know from New York who has a show out here. Oh, nice. That'll um, be really fun. Yeah, no, it will be fun, but I just am like whoa, 1am, like that's going to be intense and the audience will be drunk. So we'll see. How yeah. The audience will definitely be drunk. <laughs> yeah. So we will see how that goes. And that's sort of where my life's at. Very fun. Well, yeah. I saw you had the Sunday roast again. I had the Sunday roast again. I went to Hawksmore this time, which was like a proper gorgeous like steakhouse. And someone like a British person gave Marsha hate online because they were like, you didn't go to a proper pub. And it's like literally like we did that last week and we're doing that next week. Like let us diversify our like sourcing of pubs. I'm like, get off our ass. Um, but it was absolutely incredible. That person needs to, to get a hobby. Yeah. Um, Hawksmore is gorgeous. Melissa Rich got here yesterday. And then we all went out to like a fancy dinner last night. That was so good. Um, except the restaurant we went to didn't do martinis, which was really sad. Um, they didn't do martinis. Yeah. And here's the thing. I kind of respect a place that's like, oh, we don't do that. Like I would rather you say you don't do it than not do it well, but they they did. They were like, we only do champagne based cocktails, which I was like, that's so interesting. You do have like a full bar. I can see it. But I think they only do like mixed drinks and then champagne based cocktails, which like, God bless. Um, That's a choice. I had a champagne cocktail and it was delish, but I was uh, I do want a martini and I can't have one tonight because again, show at 1am. So, and you don't drink at uh, all before your shows, right? 
That's like I'm not a drinker before the show. I'll probably have a drink or two before the show because it is so late. As I say, you probably I need to like a little bit. <laughs> I don't like to feel drunk when I go on stage. I think it's mostly because if I were to bomb, I would blame. Then you, you would like blame such it a clear on thing being to blame drunk. It on like I was drunk. Where it's like if I bomb and I'm sober, it's like that's my fault, and like I can learn from that. Or it's not even that it's my fault. It's like. Well, no, it is my fault still, but it's like, okay, like now you need to like rework that joke or that joke doesn't work or like right. this. Whereas like you just like, it's you're, it's such a waste of your time if you're also drunk because then it's like, oh yeah, like just don't perform fully drunk. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I think it's just like, it's less, yeah, it's less useful. That makes a lot of sense. I'm feeling really self-conscious looking in this. Okay. I, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but like my lower eyes are like where I feel like I see the most aging and like looking in the zoom right now, like, do I look really horrific to you? Like, do you see this? I don't see what you're talking about. Okay, good. That was the right answer. Thank you. I know. No, but it's like you look very good. handsome. Feel, don't worry. Young you. and bought, bright. I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my new dad jeans. I love them. Today, and they did very well. I love them. Oh my God. I'm wearing like, what are they called? Remember those jeans from like the nineties that are like giant pants, like with giant legs? Jenko. Like Jenko's? bell bottoms? Like parachute, parachute pants? Oh, Jenko jeans. I'm Jenko basically jeans. wearing the like 2022 version of those. Incredible. They're really bad. Absolutely. They're really ugly, That's but they're so comfortable. That's absolutely incredible. <laughs> um, the restaurants in Edinburgh, like going out here is fun. I'm like, this week was good because I started branching out. Cause like the, the, the fringe itself has like bars and restaurants you can go to. And those are fun, but they're very like pop-up-y sort of like bars and like whatever. But like today I went, or this week I went to more like proper like institutions in Edinburgh and it was like great. We went to Cafe, Cafe Royale last night. Very luxe, very, very delish. Apparently a big thing here is venison. Like that's a big thing to eat. And I have eaten it twice and it was really good both times. Is that deer? And then, venison is deer, yeah. That's crazy. And then, <laughs> you're like moving on. And then I have to shout out my favorite place in the world now. Up the street from me, there's this little bakery or it's like a bake shop, coffee shop called Kate's. I have their tote bag. I've been carrying it all around Brighton, or Brighton, Jesus Christ, all around Edinburgh. <laughs> And literally, I'm obsessed with this place. It's beautiful. Every, I feel like I walk inside, I'm like, every single person in here is best friends with each other. They're all talking to each other, saying hi. People walk in and everyone's like, hey, like, it's so neighborhoody. I'm obsessed. I love that. And then, like, Kate is the one who's actually working there. Literally incredible. It's She bakes everything. I've had her. She's had a chocolate. I've done a chocolate chip cookie. I've done a strawberry shortcake. And I've done the Victoria sponge. And they were all incredible. I love Uh-oh. a sponge cake. There goes the 8 o'clock chimes. And it's at the 8 o'clock. So this is going to go for a while. I feel like it adds to the vibes, Keith. <laughs> and then Keith's phone is going off, like really just disgracing the yeah. beautiful chimes of that Edinburgh. Oh my God, Gina. Keith. You need to stop being so popular, Keith. It's my wife. <laughs> it's my wife, he says. <laughs> um, um, I was going to say, wait, where were we? I was talking about how much I love Kate from Kate's. Oh, do they have cold brew? No, they don't have cold brew. She makes me a lovely three shot iced oat milk latte okay. again i'm still the cold three shot has is... not been rectified you can get it at starbucks the thing is that there's not like the starbucks the nearest starbucks to me is like a 10 minute walk which is too early for coffee in the morning and so i'm not getting <laughs> once again adam in the background looking at me like he's gonna kill me he looks like he's in it follows oh he's looking at the dog oh he's only cares um, about the dog <laughs> um looking no, but, like it's in <laughs> it follows and so many, but so I have been getting a cold brew every once in a while, but it's just a little bit of a jaunt and I don't love that. And it's the only place you can get it. And apparently this place called Brew Lab, but that's even farther than the Starbucks. So I haven't gone there yet because by the time I get out there, I'm not in cold brew mode. Also, like if you were like trekking far out of your way 
to Starbucks while you're like in a foreign country. It's kind of like, that's depressing. Well, it's, it's all, well, yeah. And it's also like, if you leave your house and walk 10 minutes in the sunlight, that already is going to get you as awake as like the <laughs> cop. You know what I mean? You're supposed to drink coffee in your house, to like get the day going. Like at that point, your day's going, you've walked 10 minutes outside in the sun. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Although I will say that that's kind of what I do. Like I don't drink coffee until I get to the office and I walk here. So I walk 30 minutes to the office and then I make myself a cup because we have like- You walk all the way from the East Village to Nomad and you don't stop for a coffee? No, because um, this is, I was telling Keith about this over the weekend. I have this issue where like I cannot wake up in the mornings, like before like 9.30, um, but I have to like- Oh, so you're running late. I'm just like, no, I just always, I, I time it perfectly. Like I get here exactly at 10 but I leave my house like 9.45 and it's really like a 20 minute walk. So it's like a speed walk. I don't really have time to stop for coffee. Okay. Yeah, you and I are different. I would wake up a half hour earlier just so I could like leisurely walk and stop and get a coffee. I would love to and I do set an alarm for that, but it never happens. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. No, I respect that. I, think, <laughs> I try not to judge people. I just like don't judge people who can't get up in the morning because I get it's a real thing. I don't personally struggle with it, but some people like really, really do. I I used to be a morning person and then I I... I don't know what it was, but like now something swapped in me and now I'm like a night owl and I don't like waking up early and I like sleeping in. Yeah, I like my like me time I, at night now. Yeah, I went through a phase where I thought I was going to be a night person, like a night person. And it just, um, the thing is I do also in Edinburgh, I am having a full night person schedule. Like I'm staying out till four and sleeping till noon. So like, that's fine. But like, that's my York, ideal sleep schedule. Like yeah, that's not mine, but it's working out here. The sun's different. It's You're like, different. yeah, I would like to actually be going to sleep earlier, but I have a show tonight at one. Well, <laughs> it's not even that I would like to be. It's just like in New York, I don't think it would be sustainable. I would need more sunlight. It's, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to explain. No, that's very fair. Um, that's very fair. Yeah. Did you eat anywhere good this week before we start the episode? <laughs> um, well, tonight I'm going to one of my favorite little spots called Cafe Select. Do you know it? In oh yeah. Summer? I haven't been, but my friend works there. Oh, I really like it there. And one of my friends, like, it was kind of where we had our first friend date. So now whenever we go, like, out oh, together, when it's just cute. two of us, we like to go there. It's and then, Italian, right? Um, no, it's like, um, it's like, I don't know, like French sort of. Okay, I need to go and I get back. I think it's actually like technically Swiss, but like they have fondue and shit. It's really good. Oh, I actually did know about that. Okay, yeah, my friend works there and I did know it was Swiss. Okay, I love that. I'm they have go really good drinks, that. a good wine list. The food is really good and all the people that work there are really nice. So okay, I'm going there and then I'm going out afterward and I don't really know what I'm doing, but my friend and I like to go dancing. So I'll oh, report back. Oh, you have like a, a dream night set up for me. You just have the dinner plan and then nothing else after. So yeah. you just get to explore. That's exactly. What about you? Any, um, any well, going out plans for the to, weekend? Any plans for the weekend? Yeah, I'm going to see... I'm hanging out with my friend tomorrow night after my show. I'm not sure what we're doing. Saturday, I think I'm going to have like a big dancing night out with Melissa maybe. And then Sunday, I'm seeing Kat Cohen's show. Fun. Um, which will be really fun. That'll so, be awesome. Yeah, that's kind of my weekend. Um, it should be good. Um, this festival is going by so fast. Like I only have 10 days left, which is fucking crazy. I know. I can't believe it. I was going to ask you, like, it's. I feel like it's this summer has flown by. But I couldn't, yeah. I was like, I was wondering for you how it is. Cause like, I feel like for me, when I'm in a new place, the first couple of days flow, but fly by. And then I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go home. Are you just like, okay, this is my like 
Cause it's so long of a trip. Like how is well, it the, feeling? The difference is I have shit to do. Like I'm working, you know what I mean? I'm like doing, I'm like, I have, like I had a meeting this morning. I had to like, I had to like record something this morning. I have this, like True. I have to do the show every day. I think that like part of that, like I'm ready to go home is like when you're kind of like, I, part of that for me is like waking up every day being like, what am I going to do in the city? Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah. And there's also, I, I think the best part about doing this, like the best part about this is like normally when you're on a trip in like a foreign city or a foreign country or whatever, like, there's I experience this like crushing pressure to be like you're only here for a few days like you got to do it all yeah and because I'm here for a month I don't have that like I'm really kind of being chill I can kind of do a little bit every day oh that's and the so best it doesn't feel as intensely like ready to go home like I did like like um Holly sent me a picture of a kolache today from Brooklyn kolache and that was like the first time since I've been here that I like really missed Brooklyn yeah um but I'll be there in like two or three weeks so it's like fine I was in Brooklyn last night for um, drinks. Have you been to Onsenda or Onsenada? On, uh, I don't think so. It's Mexican. It's really good. Where is it? It's in Williamsburg, and they have um, it's like a, it's technically a mezcal bar, so they have like tons of different types of mezcal there, okay, and a bunch cool. of mezcal drinks, and the chips and guac was also really good. Highly okay, recommend. Okay, I need to go. The last thing I need is another Mexican restaurant, but I'll take it. Do you know I mean? it's like, I'll always another Mexican restaurant with like a spicy margarita. That's like, you know, but I love them all. I truly love them all. I have like four in rotation and I'll take another one. Aldama is the other one that I really like. Don't, I don't have that one. That's, uh, see, I'm Chillos. I'm Ha Ha Ha. I'm El Santo. I'm Nacho Macho Taco. Those are my four. I don't even know the last one. Nacho Macho Taco. That's my favorite one. Oh my God. Take me. It's like a mid side. It's like, a, it's not in your part of the, t- it's, you wouldn't know it though. It's in like central Brooklyn and south Brooklyn. All right, well, you, you'll take me next time we go out. Yeah, we'll go. It's really fun. Okay, this episode, speaking of Central Brooklyn, is one of, this is, we have such an icon on today. Seriously? She is so fun. This episode was so fun to record. I need to come up with new things to say at the beginning of the episodes because it's like, they all were fun <laughs> to record, but I just keep saying that. But this one was like, I just, the second she got here, she kicked her shoes off. She sat crisscross applesauce in her chair and we just gabbed. I have a list of restaurants to check out now because of her. Um, I think her and I are going to go for martinis when I get back to New York, which I'm very excited about. Um, You can follow her on Instagram. You can watch her videos on YouTube. You can subscribe to her Patreon. You can listen to her podcast with Rick Martinez, Borderline Salty. Um, She's absolutely incredible. Buy her cookbooks too. Oh my God. Duh, duh, duh. Wait, her second cookbook, which I go off on in this episode. It's one of my favorite things. is absolutely incredible. Her books are called Where Cooking Begins and That Sounds So Good. If that got, if that was wrong, we'll cut that. But I think it was right. Um, <laughs> I cook from them all the time. I just don't remember the titles, but I do cook from them all the time. Please. Okay. She's an icon. I love her so much. Please enjoy me going out with Carla Lolly Music. Every time. So funny. Um, okay. I have to tell you. Tell me. Your new cookbook. Thank you. I'm already like, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm not exaggerating. This is not me blowing smoke up your ass. This is, I'm not exaggerating. My boyfriend and I, I have never enjoyed a cookbook so much. Wow. Made so many things from it. Amazing. The sizzled beef with the scoopy uh, greens. Yes. What, I'm forgetting the proper the, name. It's it's the um, crispy gingery beef. Thank you. Yes. yes. The crispy gingery beef. The, um, the chicken cutlet, which we paired with the gem lettuce salad. With yes. The, perfect. With the ranchy dressing. Had, well, yes. 
that was heaven. The number one for us though, and th- I've we've made it at this point. I've probably made it twelve times, and I've like made my now. There's like my version of your recipe. Good, perfect. The sizzled greens with the roasted squash and the yogurt. I love that recipe too, Carla. <laughs> my and then I have one of my best friends, Casey. When your first cookbook came out, where we, cooking begins. Where cooking begins. <laughs> And the second cookbook, that sounds so good. We haven't said the title yet. But I had been, we had been a fan of yours. The day that when Where Cooking Begins came out, I came downstairs to a box on my stoop, and she had pre-ordered it for me as a gift, oh and it just like, arrived. Oh, wow. Um, but so when the second cookbook came out, she texted me, and she was like, have you gotten Carla's second book yet? And I was like, oh, yeah, I have it. We're cooking it. And she just responded. And we, we sent at the same time sizzled greens. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I really like that recipe too. That was, um, it's such a great like Thanksgiving recipe actually Yeah. because the squash only cook for 15 minutes and then the greens get the hot seedy sizzly dressing. And I just like the little popping noise that it makes, Yeah. but that you can roll into summer with that. That could be, I mean, we've been doing that. That's like, and also sometimes what we'll do is we'll not, do the squash component right. and change out whatever like the protein of it is or the starches and totally. it's so fun. I love that. And I also my 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 addition is I to the seeds add a shit ton of cumin seeds. Love. And it's so good. I love cumin seeds. I live for cumin. It's I one know. of my favorite flavors. I have um it's so funny because of Andy Baragani who I know you, you also yes, know. I adore Andy. Andy Andy is wonderful with spices. He's yeah. so particular. I learned so much from the people that I worked with, but also the, their likes and dislikes are like forever embedded in my brain. Oh, sure. And Andy has a, a thing about cumin. He's anti? He's just like oh, very small. It's like it has to be like a very subtle amount. He always oh. said that um, cumin is obnoxious. Okay. Well, I, I as someone who I think has also <laughs> been called obnoxious, really identify with cumin. I think it's so good. I really like it too. That uh, You're warming my <laughs> my cold dead heart with all these compliments so thank you no yeah but you should just be really proud of the book it is so fantastic thank and you. I've enjoyed so much of the food that it has inspired me to cook that's awesome I love like making it your own I mean that's just been a big message that I've tried to get across to to people with like always including spinets in every recipe and talking about like, you don't have this, use this. Like this is this, this is not going to make or break it. Like I just want people to cook and not get hung up on like the half teaspoon of paprika that maybe they didn't have or like, is it okay if I have a different lettuce? Is it like, can I, and that's how I cook. You know, I never make anything the same way twice when I'm cooking my own recipes. I'm like, what did I do? Why did she do that? Crazy. I'm going to do it different today, you know? Totally. And I think that that's what's so, and it kind of ties into what I also love about going to restaurants and even bars is like, the more you learn how food and drinks are not these really strict technical rules and yeah. these really constrictive sort of boxes of like, this is how this is, has to be done or this is how this is supposed to be done. And it, it really is sort of like this improvisational, mm-hmm. creative thing. It makes cooking so much more fun. I feel yeah. like those, like over the past, you know, between, I worked in restaurants for like 10 years and then also I've watched a lot of food media, <laughs> uh-huh. as you might be able to tell. Like you just, uh, like getting to the place where I could like even just last night walk into my kitchen and be like, oh, like what is here that I can like make a dish with? And that was so fun. Yeah. And being fresh and not being so precious with it. Yeah. And then also being able to then go to like restaurants or bars and see like the really fun, creative ways that people are doing these things. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I don't need to go and get like the, I mean, I guess sometimes I do want like the perfectly executed like French dish or whatever. Sure. But 
going out and seeing the ways that people are kind of improvising, changing things up, being creative is what's like so exciting. Yeah. Even dishes that you know and love and that you'll go to a restaurant and see some other seasonal thing coming in, replacing something else. Like, but the dishes, sort of the essence of the dish is the same. Yeah. It took me a while to learn that about cocktails because I feel like they're so ratioed. Yeah. And just not having worked like as a bar person. Totally. Um, but then, you know, if you make the same drink over and over and then realize like, I like it a little less sweet, like even with the Negroni, like messing with those ratios. Specs, yeah. And then I was like, this is okay. Yeah. It's okay. You have to be comfortable with, it's like, I mean, there's a, there's an element of privilege to it, right? Where there's like a luxury to not being so precious with your materials. Like mm -hmm. if like, I totally fuck this up and have to throw this dish away that will suck, but it's okay. And right. obviously there's like a privilege to that. And it's the same with drink with with drinks where it's like, I have to be comfortable with like, I might waste three ounces of gin on this if I like, you know what I mean? And yeah. that has to be okay. Yeah. And once you get to that space, whatever, that then there is so much room to play and yeah. be like, oh, like what if I just like fucking try this thing? Yeah. And that's where it gets so fun. And I think, yeah, it came to me, that came to me with cocktails first because I was a bartender and I worked at a place where they were like, we want weird cocktails. We mm. want interesting things. So mm -hmm. let's like push and see what we can do and let's try it. And that was so fun. And then I think I was able to carry that over to cooking. People really underestimate failure. Yeah. Like it is integral to the process of any, anything, but especially with creative ventures yes and in the kitchen like absolutely like as a recipe developer the whole point is that I'm gonna fuck it up like three times yep. so that the fourth time is like good and then you don't have to go through that yeah that waste or those trials and tribulations or those like wow this really doesn't look or taste like what I thought it was going yeah. to in my brain and that is okay to be like I hate this and I'm gonna ha either fix it or ditch it it, that's such an interesting way of looking at being a, like a cookbook author or like a recipe developer. It's, it's like, you're not the authority on how to do it. You're just the one that's, your part of your job is I'm doing all the legwork of time yeah. to figure this out. And then you get to drop in at the point where like, hey, this is a baseline where it's going to work, but you still play with it and fuck around with it. Right. That's and, so, I hadn't thought about it that yeah, way. Yeah, people that's think so that we are like, oh my God, you're such an amazing cook. How do you da 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 da, you know, whatever they say to other people like me, but yeah, <laughs> no, totally. You know, people would be like, how do you do that? It's so it looks so effortless. It looks, it's it. And I'm like, I, yeah, because I did it like three other times that were really bad yeah. and my family ate it. But I, I was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was 100%. like, especially I developed that sounds so good in the pandemic. So yeah. we were, you know, that was not the way it was supposed to go down at all. And there were nights where I was like, we're eating what I'm developing and it's definitely not there yet. So I welcome your feedback. Yeah. It was like my own little test kitchen. And there's sauces <laughs> to kind of get it down, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, and then you, you have to go through that to, to make it better. And then at the point where someone is reading my book or watching me perform these recipes on YouTube, like, yeah, I'm, we're good now. Totally. <laughs> I have a couple questions about the cookbooks and then yes. I want to move into talking about restaurants and bars in okay. Brooklyn. But I'm curious, you have two cookbooks that have come out. When you do like, when you have a cookbook that comes out and now it's like, okay, I'm writing a second one. Mm -hmm. Are you like, like how do you decide what's different? Is it just like, I'm going to develop more recipes? Do I want, are you going for a different style? Like mm -hmm. moving away? Like what, 
was the thought process? Yeah, there? that's a really important question that kind of comes before everything else. Yeah. And and so the motivation with that sounds so good was really around celebrating, sharing and cooking and the emotional like connection to food. I just wanted to like lean into there that food is one of the very few things in our lives that we do for sustenance and pleasure. Yeah. And you get to do it every day. Yeah. Like there are not that many things like that. No. So it doesn't have to be a, a, a big affair or a big to do, but you have, you know, at least three <laughs> being super standard about it, yeah. three meal periods a day where you have an opportunity to like do something that is like richly pleasurable in the eating, yep. but can also be creatively like fun and a break. And like, if you enjoy the act of cooking, you know, then that's, that's like a chance to go do that. 100%. If you like taking a walk, like go take a walk. Go take a walk. <laughs> so I knew that was kind of the, um, like the heart of the book. Um, but that was a really big thing of distinguishing it from how is this book different than Where Cooking Begins. For people who bought Where Cooking Begins to not kind of deliver the same book and have people go like, I really liked Where Cooking Begins, but I looked at the new one and like, it looks, you know, it's similar. I get it. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure I need to buy that. So how to make it um, look and feel different was yeah. a big motivator. And once I figured out the organizational structure, um, to divide it between Monday through Thursday and Friday and the weekend. Which is just so genius. Thank it you. It really was. Especially, what's the one section that's like, I don't remember the exact name of it, but it's the idea of like the one where you've just been like hanging out, drinking in the backyard yeah, all day. Yeah, day what? drinking the, and lazy lunches. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was like, so that's my heaven. is right. like that space. Yeah. And just like the idea that like you could, in a book, bring up this sort of like, contextualizing the recipes within the social spaces they will exist within yeah. was so like, Brought me true joy. I was like, oh, this is exactly how I like thinking about cooking yeah. and eating and drinking. I feel like we ask a lot of cooks as, you know, people who write recipes to not sort of say like, I don't know. I just gotten a lot of feedback from people over the years who were like, oh, I was so psyched to make this. And then I got like halfway through it and realized it now cooks for two hours. And it's like, right, you should read the whole recipe before 100%. you start. But like nobody does. And this happens a lot. So once it was divided between how I cook on a night where yeah. I worked or commuted or, you know, had to deal with reality versus how I cook when I wake up at 1030 or 11 and think about what I want my day to be like and and and, and enjoy cooking and like, yeah. let me start something that's going to go for a long time. Then the book was sort of about time yeah. and, and how to use time as um, intelligently so that you don't like we're obsessed with also this idea of mise en place. Yeah. Like I feel like at a certain point, food media people told home cooks that the most important thing that you could do as a home cook is do mise en place because that's what restaurant cooks do. And that is a lie. Yeah. We've been lying. Yeah. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna, on the behalf of everyone who told you to like get your mise en place together, that is not true unless you're making something. Large format or Or, or like- a stir fry. Yeah. Or something where you, or baking, where like you can't stop in between steps. You have to keep going. Yeah. Or a caramel. Like you need to have everything something there. Something with and a constant ready. active cooking. Yeah. But like for most, for most dishes, mm -hmm. like you can start the thing that takes the longest and then do the prep of the thing that you're going to use in 10 minutes. Yeah. Nobody tells you that. No. They're just, you know, and the reason restaurant cooks have mise en place is because actually they've done all of that 
pre work. So their life is about how do I throw it in the pan and do the five minute pickup. Yeah. So yeah, mise en place. It's a lie. It is hot takes. (laughs) I think it, no, it makes sense because it's like, it's also like, oh yeah, that's, it's like people are like the, the, Food media people are saying like, oh, this is like what helps. And it's like, no, this is so you can do it in a video. Right. Like this is so it can all be on a tray next to the stove. But like if I'm not videotaping it in my kitchen, which I'm not, I don't think we need that. Exactly. (laughs) It's so funny. Um, So you live in Brooklyn. I do. You lived in Brooklyn a long time? 20 something years. Long time. Yeah. Same, same neighborhood, Fort Greene. I love Fort Greene. I, I walk there. I, I live in Bed-Stuy, like okay. just farther down the A. So I walk through Fort Greene most days. Nice. Let's talk restaurants we love. Sure. And bars we love. Okay. What are we, where are we going? <laughs> so I moved to Fort Greene when like there was Shea Oscar. Yep. And Which is now in Bed-Stuy. No, oh yeah. They do have one. In, but the, the one in the location in Fort Greene is now Evelina. I understand. So, Same owners or different? No, no. Okay. It's like. Kind of like a really nice Italian place. Yes, I have a friend who works there. And big outdoor seating. It's gorgeous. Lovely. A little pricey. Yes. Like for a neighborhood spot, a little bit of sticker shock. But they do they execute well yep. and they're lovely and it's really, really nice. Absolutely. I love Romans. I love all of Andrew Tarlow's restaurants. Um and Romans, you know, forever and ever. Yes. Love. Great bar. I haven't had I haven't been to the bar there. I mean, I love to sit and eat at the bar, but also okay. delicious, like, drink program. Okay. Forever on the chalkboard when you come in, they have a sour of the day and a bitter of the day. I love that. Yeah, and they always change, and it's like, ooh, like, where, who, what am I right now? Do I want to be sour or bitter? <laughs> <laughs> Easy to be both. Totally. Um, I Okay, so Romans, and then... Sh- so is the Shea Oscar in Bedside? Is that the same group that was the? Original? I think so. Okay, I need to go there then. Yeah, I mean, I, and I also love Bagel World, and I love Canara too on Myrtle. That's our favorite Indian takeout. Their dining room's been closed like the whole pandemic, but we used to go sit in there because there we would have the room. <laughs> but Canara is really good, delicious Indian. Okay. Um, Larina on Classic. Myrtle also that lovely. Smokes. The smoked spaghetti. Yes. But it's so good. It's really good. And they have a lovely backyard. They have a really beautiful backyard. Um, did you ever go to Baguette About It on uh, Vanderbilt? It's no. gone now. Now it's like a Brooklyn hero shop. It wasn't very good, but it was one of the great one of the great names of all time. Oh, Baguette About It's really good. <laughs> yeah. And you're talking about, wait, is this Brooklyn, the one that's like around the corner from Great Georgiana? Uh, what's Great Georgiana? You know Great Georgiana. It's the bar on the corner oh, up yes. to call yes. that has the big outdoor seating. Yeah, totally. And then is that the, the sandwich shop you're talking about? Yeah, they are, Hero. They are quite good. You can have to wait a minute there. You might wait a minute. But it's worth, I would say it's worth it. Yeah. And we love one or eight for sushi. Wait, I don't know this. Oh, one or eight is like fantastic. Where is that? It's on the corner of um, uh, Claremont and DeKalb. That oh. corner space, it used to be General Green. Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. Which was a good restaurant when it opened and became one of the worst restaurants ever by the end. (laughs) (laughs) Always sad when that happens. Yeah, it's It's like... It's nothing worse than you go to a place that you love and you sit down and you're like, is this so bad? Yeah, you're like, do I hate it here? Can we never come here again? There was a Thai restaurant that when I first moved to New York, I thought was the most amazing place in the world. And by the time it closed, I remember I took a friend there and apologized. I was like, I promise you this used to be good. Used to be good. But like it has descended into hell. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. Um, 
But we also love Paulette for a burger. Like, it just depends. Yeah. But I've had some, you know, love it. But, like, you also learn when you're a regular. Like, I've had some definitely sandy oysters there. Okay, sure. <laughs> but, like, the burger's always good. But the burger's always good. I yeah. hear that. So when you're going, as someone who, like, is a obviously is a chef, and and you worked in restaurants. So I know you, I you GM Shake Shack. Mm -hmm. And then... Where you worked in non-fast so food. So working as a GM at the at the original Shake Shack, which I just walked past and it smells very beefy. Yeah. Um, in <laughs> Madison Square Park. Um, that was sort of like the tail end of my restaurant time. Gotcha. So I had started as a line cook and then um, worked as a line cook for two or three years and then got into back of house management. Uh -huh. And then from there into operations and then like opening restaurants. And that led me finally to GM which Shake Shack honestly was probably the only restaurant in the world that I could have been hired to be the GM because I had no, I really had no front of house experience. So yeah, that makes total sense. And Shake Shack was basically like an open kitchen counter with, with a, with a cashier as the, that in between person. <laughs> totally. I loved cashiering there too. Yeah. I'm was, so obviously Shake Shack is like an iconic institution yes. at this point was the, cause it opened before I lived in New York. Mm-hmm. Was it, is it, when it opened, was it like explosive yes. in like an insane way? Yeah, it was like a spectacle. Yeah. Well, and I didn't, I worked around the corner. I worked on 22nd Street when they opened. Okay. And like New Yorkers don't wait online for anything, right? Yeah. And I used to go on my lunch break and sit in the park and just watch what was happening because I, I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. I was like, what is happening here? Do you know what was causing that? Was it like a, was there like a review? Was there an article? Like, was there like a viral moment? Like, I think what? it was a combination of a lot of things in, 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 in being in a park environment and having food that was sort of had the pedigree of this Union Square Hospitality Group, yep. you know, um, institution, but also everything was really good and like really yeah. beautifully, like caringly made. Even yeah. the lemonade was just like the best fresh lemonade and you know, everything had that like specialness about yeah. it, but then also having the experience of being in the park and you're under the, you know, shadow of the flat iron building yeah. and that like mix didn't exist. Sure. And, and it was for New York city, like this remarkable outdoor experience. And then it just became like its own, it like created its own phenomenon right. by being itself. That makes that feels really special. Did mm -hmm. it feel special to be at the center of that? Or Extremely. was it incredibly stressful? It was both. It was both. It was like being amazed. Um, Did you know before it was opening, were you like, I think this is going to blow up? Or was it oh, like no. it opened? No, and it like, opened and every, I mean, when it first opened, it was like two six foot tables and they were serving hot dogs, like literally, but even before the structure was built. Oh shit. Then when the structure existed, they thought they were going to be a hot dog place because that was what the, they had been when they were just like the cart. And the, and put a burger on the menu, and then the burger became the thing. The thing. And then, you know, people are just obsessed about burgers. There is something about a burger. I'm not, I wasn't like a burger person like that. Are you a burger person? I'm a burger person. Uh -huh. Me and my friend pre-pandemic had burger dates where we were trying to go to all the iconic <laughs> burger spots in New York uh -huh. and like rank them. Nice. Um, I do love a burger, but I recently found out I have bad cholesterol, so I'm trying to go back. <laughs> okay, but bad cholesterol, like total number or ratio? I think it was like both <laughs> because I thought it came back and my doctor was like, your cholesterol is too high. And I 
was like, because I had not, when I went to get my blood work done, I had not, I didn't know I was getting my blood work done that day. And so I hadn't like fasted before. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, well, I forgot to fast. So I don't think those are active. <laughs> and she was like, um, they actually changed that rule in the 90s. You don't have to fast anymore. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, fuck. Um, I learned that recently too. I went and she was like, do you want to do like the lipid panel or yeah. whatever the fuck? And I was like, I do, but I I just had a three, I just had a three egg omelet at, <laughs> at Odeon and fries <laughs> and like Gruyere. And she was like, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. And I was like, Okay, but <laughs> can we subtract? Yeah, I know. can I like get at least like a little bit of a credit? Um, no, but they were. She was. But I'm trying to just eat oatmeal in the morning and hope that fixes it all. I'm <laughs> we'll sure it will. See. Yeah. No, but I do. I really love burgers. Yeah, I worked with people who were burger people who, but I'm had a, at least a burger a week. You know, like I'm not there, be, but I I do love a burger. But I'm specific. I have a lot of opinions. Okay. I'm. And I'm, and I think that I'm in the minority of New York. I find that New York was when I moved here and is increasingly more and more yeah. pro smash. Uh huh. Big time. And I'm a thick boy. I yeah. like a thick patty. You want a bar burger? I want a bar burger. I like like a juicy patty. You want like, like Jackson Hole? Do you know the Jackson Hole chain? No. I don't know if they're still around actually, but that was that style of burger, yeah. and it was a menu that you know they had. It was just their burger, their style of burger. But you could get a pizza burger, and you could get like the yeah. Mexican burger, and you could get the like Southwest burger with the hatch chilies and the. Um, but it was really good burger. Yeah, I just love like. For me, because I don't eat burgers all that often, but I love, love, love them. I'm like, let me, if I'm going to, it's like, if I'm going to get into the vault, I'm going to rob the bank or whatever. The, I'm going to rob the <laughs> bank. I'm going to empty the vault. Is that what it says? I don't, I uh, don't know that one. <laughs> but it's like, I'm just going to get as much as I can out of this one burger. Yes. So I want like a thick, juicy, delicious patty. So who has that burger in the city? When my friend and I were doing the tastings, yeah. the top two actually, funny enough, were both Union Square Hospitality Burgers. Oh. My number one was the GT Burger, which is annoying to pick one of the most expensive restaurants in New York and be like, their burger is the best. But it was like unbelievable. And then Union Square Cafes was Mm. truly phenomenal. There's also a diner on 3rd and like 20 called like J June something. Fuck. I'm not going to remember it. On like maybe 23rd or something. Um, over on 3rd Ave. It's a diner that has a famous burger. I'm not going to remember it. But Oh, I I know that place. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) And Um, it's actually maybe- It is Joe Jr.'s. Thank right? you, yeah. Joe Juniors. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's a very, very good burger. Yeah, and when you walk in, you're like, "Am I going to get hepatitis here?" Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. There's some history there. Um, and then there's a new, but then I will say some of this. And Bernie's has a great burger. Mm. Um, and Walters in Fort mm. Greene. Yes, Walters does have a good burger. Walters has a good burger, and Walters Burger really gets a lot of extra points because they have my favorite kind of fry. I'm very pro that like McDonald's esque fry. They have a good fry. Um, yeah, Walters was another spot in the neighborhood that we kind of like re embraced in pandemic because of the outdoor seating. Yeah. They had a, like a nice area. They have a, they they did a really good job with their outdoor seating. Yeah. That was, might've been the first place that I actually ate indoors when it was like, you can eat indoors again. Nice. I think we had a family meal and my parents were there and we went to Walters cause like, I love that. You can make a reservation. But then we thought it was outside. And when we got there, they were like, right this way. And I was like, oh, fuck. We can't. Blah. And they were like, you made a reservation for indoors. And everybody looked and we were like, this is supposed to be okay. I don't know. And we're here today. Here we are. <laughs> when, as someone who is has worked in restaurants, has worked on the line, now cooks a lot at home yeah. and can make really delicious food for themselves and their yeah. family. What are the things that are drawing you to a restaurant? Everything. I mean, all of those reasons, because we ate, I love, I 
I realized how important restaurants were to actually just being like excited about food. Yeah. When we didn't, when I didn't have them, you know, and, and I was someone who I was developing my cookbook and we were pretty like, we were very careful about COVID. And at the beginning there was this, this was still an idea that like, Maybe you would pick it up from the packing materials. Like nobody really knew. So I was like, I'm going to cook as much as I can until I'm like, really, I don't want to use this. I don't want to use this card until like I have to. Um, And the loss of being around people and having food cooked by people who are thinking about food and creative about food and and inventing food and introducing you to flavors, like to have that experience in a city where there's so many incredible restaurants, there's a huge takeaway. I realized like how much eating out had inspired things I wanted to try, flavors I want to try to recreate, not like wholesale whole dishes, but you know, like eating the, the burger at hearts and like Uh. thinking about, you know, like lamb and anchovy and then like where that might take you and it w- and it's and it's vinegar and you know just ha- having eye opening experiences like that um that was that was that's a huge reason I think why we eat out and and then to be in a room filled with people when we're with this commu- community is like as human beings like what so is vital. essential to our life it's not this freaking late stage capitalist nightmare of a dystopian like (laughs) nightmare we're living in. I know. Like being human is about, I think satisfying elemental needs and pleasures and like being around other people. Yep. So you get to do that in restaurants too. That's so it, the specifically bringing up the burger at hearts is such like a specific and like the perfect example of, I think what you're talking about where it's like a restaurant like that, that is, really um like the the gm is on the floor you can see the kitchen i feel like the owners are there all the time people know that restaurant group and really love and care about that restaurant group and they have the ability to i've worked at a lot of restaurants um where they the chefs have not been able to like go to put anchovies on a burger Mm -hmm. because it's like about making it palatable to the people on the Upper East Side who are coming down or whatever it is. Right. And like a restaurant group like that, that is, I think, for people who are excited about food, are excited about the community Mm -hmm. of the hospitality industry. Totally. And so you get to, there's something so special about, I remember being at the bar. I was friends with um, Pat, who was the GM up until recently of Hearts. And I went there on his like last night and I was sitting, I met like his other friends at the bar who I didn't know. And we were sitting there and one of them got the burger and it came. And I remember seeing, the like filet of anchovy on the top and seeing that it was a lamb burger and in the like, instantly being like, Oh wow. Like this is a place where like the chef is really allowed to try something weird and new. And then like the front of house gets to be like, this burger is not like anything you've had. Right. And it's exciting and you're going to love it. And I'm going to love that you're trying it. And there's like, a, that's like such a New York restaurant thing. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I seeing that burger, I was like, this is what we've been missing for yeah. so long. Yeah. Yeah, like a lamb burger, I would. I'm so much more psyched about than like a regular beef burger. Totally, and that's a thick one. Yeah, Patty's thick. They're not smashing <laughs> it's that true. one. True. Um, yeah, I think that when I finally kind of went back to like eating indoors again, 
the magic of being with people, mm-hmm. including the people who work there, and being yeah. really grateful as someone who spent ten years in restaurants. Like during the pandemic, I felt like I could. I felt helpless. Like I felt like I couldn't help the restaurants because the thing that you could do to help them the most was to buy their food and yeah. like there you couldn't eat indoors and it was then it was winter and I just thinking about everyone I knew who was constantly having to shift to like oh now we're healthcare experts <laughs> and we're like an authority on this now we're actually bouncers now we're this now we're a takeout place now we're delivering cocktails now we're like the energy to cont- constantly morph like that every every six weeks the toll that that takes and then having just the business pulled out from under you you know, we are we we are lucky to have restaurants in our lives. Yeah. And if you are not tipping twenty five to thirty percent, it's go home. Go, go home. back home and fucking put that Stouffer's pizza <laughs> because you're not allowed. No. And and it's really expensive. Like food's expensive, the many prices are going up, you have to tip large and it's like it's changing the restaurant world. I don't really know what's gonna happen. Same. And I was working in it during that time. Like I only left restaurants back in September and like I, so I was in restaurants for all of the pandemic and I, I had the same thought where I was like, this is reaching a breaking point and a a turning point. Yeah. And I, and in the restaurant industry and also like society at large. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like reaching a breaking point and a tipping point. (laughs) So, um, but like I, it, it, it is like, you still have to show up and do like, it's like, yeah, I know it's fucking expensive. Yeah. And it makes it like you have to, you can't go out as much as you'd like, but also like you going out as much as you're like, should not be predicated on the exploitation of the workers. Exactly. And so it's like, you do just and like, there might more. be fewer restaurants and that's how it's going to be. And that's how it's going to be. Yeah. Um, and, and I do try to, yeah. Think about like going places at every price point, you know? Um, but yeah, meal out, it's it's just a lot. Like my eighteen year old son is looking for the maximum amount of calories for the I was gonna say. least amount of dollars, and that's how he like judges places. He's yeah. like, that place is pretty good. The burrito is big, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or like this new sandwich place open near school, and he was like, they're giving a 10 percent student discount, and it comes with like a pickle in the thing, a pickle on the side, you know, <laughs> and. It's, you know, he's like, and it was $8. And yeah. I'm like, great. Feeding, because you have multiple teenage children. I have an 18-year-old and a 12-year-old. That but is he's like 12 so, large. Yeah. I, feeding two growing boys during the pandemic, I cannot, I will never forget my, I have siblings that are much younger than me. And when, like a few years ago, one of my brothers came and visited me for a weekend. And he was like, he was probably like 15, 16 at the time. And I went to the grocery store and like got food to have in the apartment for him. And I got those like, do you know those like giant grocery store muffins? Yeah. <laughs> that come in like the big plastic tin. Yeah. I will, This was like one of them. I will never forget this as long as I live. I was watch, standing in the, the living room and I watched him eat two. Wow. And then turned to me and say, what are we doing for breakfast? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't, you, I don't know what to tell you. There's not enough food in the city, apparently. <laughs> so I can't imagine what you went through. <laughs> Very early on, because, you know, dinner is like protein and vegetable. Like, still think about it, building a dinner around, like, what's our protein? Yeah. What is our vegetable? And what is the carb or the yep. starch? And having those three variables, like, very quickly in play 
became overwhelming. Yep. So we were in like, we were, it was like day nine and I was like, okay, a family meeting, um, <laughs> like tonight and every other night, the, the carb is going to be rice. Does yep. anyone have any objections to it being rice every night? For the foreseeable future, no end. And everybody was like, here he, I, we yeah. used second. <laughs> and I made rice every night, thank God, because it took away this that like one. So then it was just like the protein and the vegetable, protein and the vegetable, and the- <laughs> protein and the vegetable. And, you know, some dinners were like weird. And there were some dinners where I was like, it did force you to, to rely on like, you have food in the house. Yeah. You think you have nothing in the house. Like, you, you we're not food. going out to shop. Like, this is a whole thing. So uh, you can't even get a reservation on Fresh Direct. We're not, you know, yeah. there's no chickens. It's like a disaster. <laughs> so, like, I, I call it going shopping in your refrigerator. Just like, <laughs> and that same thing that you were describing. 100%. Like, take all the things out that could potentially make something and, like, look at them and then, like, it's like mystery basket and then like maybe put one or two back. Like I'm not going to end up using that. And then you yeah. make something. Yeah. When you're, um, when you're shopping for food yeah. in Brooklyn, like are you, I feel like I've seen in your videos and like mentions, like I, you seem like someone who is trying to be cognizant and ethical and mindful about like where your food is coming from. Um, was that soup? Like in, when you're developing a, cookbook and recipes for a cookbook so you have to buy a lot of food and yeah. like go over is that super fucking challenging it was challenging in some ways but in other ways like so another part of my philosophy about cooking is sort of dividing the food shopping and I gotcha. and I worked on that in where cooking begins and it really it was something I had been practicing like as a in my home and then I was like this is a thing wrote about it in the book um, and it's still really true for, for how I cook now. There's things you buy in person and there's things that you don't. <laughs> and I feel like people got much more comfortable with ordering online and there's many, many more um, vendors for doing that. Yeah. You have to be careful where you order your stuff from. But um, I really divide things like if it comes in a box, a can, a, a jar or, a you know, tub, you can order that online. Yeah. Cause you're not assessing the quality in the shop. Exactly. Yeah. Like this can of black beans or that one, like literally makes no difference. You know, the brand that you like order Great. it. Those things are heavy. Those are your canned tomatoes, your vinegars, your condiments, your like, you know, rice, flour, those sugar, like that is annoying to schlep. Um, so don't schlep it and then shop in person for your produce and your protein. Yeah. Um, and that, simplifies things like a lot. Yeah. Like when I was a young parent of like a younger kid and I would go to fairway and sometimes I would stand in the cereal aisle and just be so overwhelmed because I wasn't sure if any of it was okay. Yeah. You know, like standing there going like, okay, well I ate, I ate honey nut Cheerios and I'm when fine. I was a kid <laughs> and like, is it okay? And like, is this too much sugar? And is that bad? And like, what else does the Kellogg's company do? And like you, you and I've many times like walked out without the cereal because all of these things, all of this information is flying through your head and you know, it, it, it's, 
I just believe kind of in an 80-20 rule. Like if you're, yeah, you know, if you're like 100% good, like 80% of the time, then like you're doing great. And it's also like, the thing is, is it's like we spent the past 15, 20 years trying to be that way. Mm-hmm. And like, look where we are. I like know. it didn't do anything. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Because it was like, so it's like, I'm just like at this point, I'm like, I literally don't, it's not that I don't care, but I'm like, I'm not going to like give anyone a hard time about doing, like buying Goya. Like right. I, you're like, I can't. Right. If yeah. I'm at the store and there's a cheaper option that I, or like if there's a comparable option, I'm like, oh, let me try this. I haven't had that one before. Like, sure. But like, if it's not as good, I'm going to go back, I think. Yeah. And that's okay. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. I think like a big, another big turning point for me was, you know, when it was like non-GMO and no genetically modified this and it's terribly bad and they're making it pesticide resistant and that's like fucked up and not natural. And then I read something that was like from a, you know, someone who's like trying to solve like world hunger was like genetically modified like crops are are the reason why people are going to like starve to death or not. And so get off your high horse like about wheat this. Is, like the world would not have enough wheat to survive if we had not GMO'd wheat. That's like a fact. Like, and I was it's like, like, oh, that's a really great point of like having crop resistance in places where it's really hard to grow. And then I was just like, it's often, you know, I know nothing. So let's just like try to do the best that you can. Yeah. And make and you can make mistakes and get called out and think about it and then, you know. Do better. Yeah, I, don't I just know. found out that apparently aluminum and deodorant is fine, and I've been smelling <laughs> bad for like three years, getting rashes from these natural deodorants, and apparently there was like nothing to be concerned about. Like we can't win. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm just like kind of done. But I do think like that's where it comes in. Where like, I think it is much more if you're trying to have like a direct effect of being ethical in your consumption. Yeah, choose applying that to what fucking restaurants you go to yeah. is much more direct. Like do you the still, effect. I mean, what big thing for me was like. Amazon is out. Like right yeah. in March of 2020, done. I was like, we're done with Amazon. No more Amazon. Like yeah. zero Amazon. And that to me was a bigger, a change that hopefully like, you know, that is about literally like how to treat people. Yeah. Horrible treatment of workers. You cannot like think about it. And I was just like, I'm not doing that anymore. And it has meant like things are less convenient. Like, getting on the subway to go to B&H when they open to pick up a thing that, like, if I still order from Amazon, I could have gotten it, like, same day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. I'm like, this Giving is... Giving up... You need to understand if you're listening to this at home. If you ma- <laughs> if, if someone who makes video content at home says they're giving up Amazon, that's a big deal. Like, and B&H that's... is closed on Fridays and Saturdays, guys. Friday evening, just all day Saturday. It also is... You have to take a train to Penn Station. There's a lot of reasons why B&H is tough. So that's actually a huge deal. Yeah, I mean, similar. It's like that's like like I think I've been reading about the stuff that Starbucks is doing with the union busting mm-hmm. and shit, and I'm like, I don't think I can do it. Yeah, and it, but that's like a personal choice for me. But it's also like if I hear that a restaurant, I have a lot of restaurants that I'm like, oh, I know that like they treat their staff like shit, or yeah. they've like been stealing tips, or they've done X Y Z. That for me is like a hard line. I'm not gonna go. Yeah, I. Don't like to like disparage. I don't, I have like a personal rule where I don't like disparage podcasts or not podcasts. I don't disparage restaurants by name on the podcast uh-huh. because I'm like, I don't really need to affect, I'm not trying to affect someone's tips at the end of the day. I'm right. not trying to fuck with anyone. I'll like big up restaurants I love, but restaurants I don't like, I'll like refer to and, but I won't name them. And so from working in restaurants for as long as you did, do you feel like you can walk into a restaurant even when you've never been there before and know based on, 
how the staff comes over to your table, whether they are having a good experience at that place or not. By the end of the meal, I, yeah. I would bet um, my check that yeah. I know. Yeah, yes, I can see straight through that stuff now too. And I feel it's like so real. for me, I would rather have like okay food in a great environment where you're having a great time with your server and the hospitality was amazing and the people at the next table became your friends and you had a really good time and the food was fine. Like that is a place I will go back to over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I feel exactly the same. I feel exactly the same. Like I don't need to have a like experience. Like the idea of a fancy $400 tasting menu is my nightmare. No, because what what the thing you just described before is to me an experience. Like and <laughs> exactly. that's the joy of it, you know? And it's like that's I've that is like a recurring theme on this podcast when we have these conversations is like the best I think if you're a restaurant owner, creating a space where your staff is like thriving and having fun will be the best influence on your product that yeah. you possibly can have. Yeah. Because it's also like I'll my Nate is Nate, my boyfriend is so clued into like sensing this energy for me. But if we sit down at a restaurant and in the first like 10 minutes, I can see like our server's fucked. We haven't been greeted yet. They're understaffed and like no one's really paying attention. At that point, I want to leave. Same. I would rather, and I have left. Yeah. I have been like, I actually am not going to enjoy this dinner at this point. I would rather go down the street to the place that I know, you know what I mean? Get to totally. the bar at the bar. No, like this, I'm done. This has happened to us so many times that my spouse will like look at me when that the the opening move feels like that. And he'll look at me and be like, please let us stay. Please can we stay? <laughs> no, but I can feel And I'm it. like, if one more thing happens, like we're we are walking. And he's like, I think it's gonna be fine. I think you just gotta give like, <laughs> Give it another minute. And it needs, it's like, and it's, the thing is, it's, it's like, I'm not, I'm, I can't say I'm not mad because in the moment I'm mad, but it's like, it is not personal against the server. Right. It is not personal against anyone, but it's like, this is going to be really stressful for me the whole time because exactly. you're not set up for success and I'm not now set up to have the exper an experience that's anywhere near what I want. So I think it's just best if we all walk away, yeah. you know, and I've done it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I would rather do that than me sit and be, because I'm going to start to get frustrated. Like yeah. when I can preemptively, I had a, I had a, I had a, um, I had an experience once where I was at a restaurant and they were doing this like tasting and I could tell that they were like, it was like, I could tell that the server was really overwhelmed and he took our order and I, I watched him walk to the POS and I saw someone flag him down halfway and him like be oh and then go to the table and I was like our food's not getting wrong in and I know it like and I've I've watched it happen and it's over and I was so hungry oh <laughs> and like God. thirty minutes later I'm like and I didn't like it's like I can't flag down the server and be like hey I think you forgot to ring our food in because I watched you get distracted like that's psychotic but I did right. and then ultimately like eventually like our food didn't come and I had to come and be like hey our food never came and he was like oh my God I'm so sorry and I was like it's okay but like I was just miserable at that yeah. point but then it, and it's the thing of like someone just needs to acknowledge that it's happening. You right. know what I mean? And that's always like, that was when I was training people to be servers in restaurants because I was exclusively front of house. I never did back of house. I would always be like, when you fuck up, tell the table. Yeah. Be like, hey, I this happened. We are acknowledging it and we're moving on because it's when you constantly are keep pretending that it's not happening. Yeah. That's when the ship sinks. Yeah. Because you're not repairing the hole. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's a trust. You enter into a trust relationship it's a trust where relationship. you're like, I am, I get the same kind of anxiety from be, from being in restaurants for a really long time. Like the sequence of events and knowing like 
the signals, you know, that are happening that are hard, that are intangible. But it's like, if you haven't worked in restaurants, you might just, it's all happening around you. Sometimes I'll start to get anxious and nearly what's wrong. I'm like, we haven't gotten water yet. Right. And if we haven't got water yet, no one knows we're here. Exactly. Yeah. Or like the server showing up or the, actually the runner showing up when there's, when there's, um, the table has been struck, but there's no, no new silverware been put down. And then you can see them approach the table and go like, fuck, you know? And it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. Um, but that's, so what's funny there is like that to me, cause like, I th- I, I'm thinking back to like my restaurant where the first restaurant I worked at in New York, which was like very traumatic and bad. And that was the kind of place where you were constantly afraid of mistakes because you got in a ton of trouble, which right. is a bad place to work. Yeah. So at that kind of place, I would walk, <laughs> I would walk up to the table. If like, let's say I have a handful of food and I see they're not me's, I would shit my pants. I'd be like, I can't drop the food. I'll get in trouble. Whereas like any sane person would prefer, Hey, I see you don't have silver yet. I'm going to put this down. I'm going to be back in two seconds with your exactly. fork and knife. Right. And everyone's fine. Right. But it was like, that was such like not allowed in this space that it's like, okay, now I'm doing laps in the dining room pretending this food is somewhere else, someone else. Like, and it's just like, that's the kind of place where I don't want to be because yeah. no one's empowered to actually just like do the executive decisions that will make it be better. Yeah. I think coming up in restaurants when there was no, you know, it was all shift pay. There was no health insurance. There was no paid time off. You couldn't call out because that meant that you were like screwing over everyone you worked with by like not being there. Pre-pandemic, I don't think it'll ever go back, but it's like people being, oh no, like you were expected to go to the work with, go to work with the full blown flu. Oh dude, like (laughs) when I was a kitchen manager, people would, would on occasion, you know, walk out of the kitchen and vomit (laughs) into a, because like they couldn't call out and they were sick, ill, very ill. And that's like not cool. No. (laughs) And now I feel like, thank goodness there is so much better awareness of like treating people like human beings, especially when you're touching food and all of that stuff. You can't be having that. No, that is not okay. Um, and yeah, but I th- I feel like my first three, four years working in restaurants, I just assumed that, like, you're going to get treated like garbage. People are calling you terrible names all day long. Awful. And um, you're going to get cut. You're going to get burned. You don't have time off. Like, and that was kind of, that's the job. Um, and I'm, you know, really... Like I had my experience and like I, I, lo- I loved many things about it, but my older son just started, just got his first restaurant job for the summer and he's 18 and he got hired to do prep work. And I'm like, I am so happy that he is going into a restaurant job in a time when like the minimum wage, you know, is <laughs> not like, he, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they, post a schedule. And when he, um, got COVID his second week of being at work, they were like, Oh my gosh, we're so sorry. How are you feeling? Instead of like, wow, this is really a problem now. And like, maybe you shouldn't come back at all, you know? Yeah. Which is Um, what it would have been. And I'm like, I'm so happy and excited for him to go through that experience where you do meet amazing people. You learn so much and you're not like being abused at the same time. How have you, going through 10 years in the restaurant industry and then your career after in food media, in cook, in, I guess just food media, but how have you, or maybe you haven't stayed in love with it the mm. whole time? Mm-hmm. 
yeah, this <laughs> career is like a marriage, yep. you know, or well, any kind of long term relationship. Like, not every year is an A plus. No, totally. There's ups and downs. Yeah. And I think that um, I kind of had that feeling when I first got into food and and went to culinary school and had my first internship at a restaurant, like my first nighttime service as an intern in the kitchen, the first order was called and the first plate went out and I got a rush of adrenaline, like nothing else. And I was just like, and it's probably like what rock stars feel. They're like, this is it for me. And I knew that it was it for me. And I also have been very fortunate to have worked a lot of different jobs in this industry. Um, so when you do kind of approach a burnout or I'm ready for a new challenge, like my job changed every two to three years. So, and I think food is just like a thing that you never can never, you'll never stop learning about and getting better at and growing. So for me having many, many experiences of feeling like I know nothing that, that really gets me, it probably plays into my own, like you know, you could always do better sort of messaging of parenting yeah. that I was receiving um, to like feel like you don't know what you're doing is is a very motivating thing. So totally. even, you know, leaving, leaving Bon Appetit and writing a book, you, I felt like I have no, I have no idea what I'm doing. And now I'm like an independent, horrible word <laughs> of content creator. And I'm like, I made a ton of mistakes my first year. Yeah. Like making my own videos after doing it for years. I was like, I don't know how to make a food video. I'm like, been doing this for a long time and I know how to pick a recipe and I know how to do the thing. And then you're like doing it on your own and you're like, oh, I have no idea how long it's supposed to take to edit this. I have no idea what my budget should be. I don't know. Like, you know, I don't, I'm hiring people. I'm making mistakes. I'm like, the first year was just really Hard, but then I was like, "Well, I'm the CFO. I'm the studio manager. I'm yeah. the talent. I'm the food stylist. I'm like the YouTube strategist. You're a business owner. Yeah, it was really a lot. I'm sure. And again, like going back to being okay with failure and feeling like, yeah, this was kind of like opening a restaurant. You spent too much money in the first three months. <laughs> you overstaffed it. You weren't sure like what the orders coming in were going to be. So you like had waste. Like I really kept comparing it to the I idea total of opening a restaurant and that it's built in that that's not going to be the most profitable. The opening is not the most profitable <laughs> era, but you have to like put everything behind it to try to do it right. And then figure and then it's figure it out and adjust. Investment. Yeah. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but that makes sense. Like just kind of constantly evolving what the, what is the thing you're doing? So that it's always a challenge. Yes. And the fact that I guess I was like thinking as you were answering, I was like, and also you just like going back to what you said at the beginning of the interview, you're always going to need to eat three meals a day. Like mm-hmm. you're always going to need food. So it's always, our bodies are built to always be excited about this thing and care about this thing. Yeah. We had um, leftover rice that I crisped up to, in a pan and tuna salad yeah. and like, four day old bread that I revived in the toaster for dinner with like lettuces. And it was, yeah, my husband was like, I, this is like, he's like, I love this dinner. This is like one of my favorite dinners. (laughs) I will say before we get into the final question of the interview, that something that has a big 2022 
leftover rice, just keeping leftover rice in the fridge yes. is ultimate. Every white rice I get with like a Chinese delivery, that is like the most amazing base to have in your fridge. Like no, there is nothing better. No grain unturned. Yes. If you know what I mean. And we, so we were having rice every single night and just the rice consumption. So at the beginning I was like one cup of rice for four people. And then it was like, you know, my 18 year old was like, I think we can, he was like, I think we can bump that up. And I'm like, great. We went to a cup and a half. We went to two cups and like, you know, two cups is now minimum because you need the it's leftover. disappointing if there's no leftover rice in the morning. A hundred percent. To throw an egg on. Oh, yeah. That's my ultimate breakfast. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's until I got my cholesterol. So it's egg on rice <laughs> was my number one breakfast. <laughs> and now we've pivoted. Okay. I like to end the interviews by planning a night out with my guests. Okay. So if we're going out, where do, what do, what's a night out between Jake and Carla look like? So a night out for me, like I would love for it to start at like 3.30 p.m. Gorgeous. And maybe we're going to get like that day drinking lazy lunch kind of moment. Um, I went to Leo Sourdough the other day. My So that's one of my top favorite restaurants. Lo Adore. Fabulous. And again, so the guy who opened that restaurant used to work at Roman's. And so when we used to go to okay. Roman's, we were friends with him and would see him all the time. And also from going to Roman's over the years, like people stay a really long time or you would – you know, not see Another someone. Another sign of a great restaurant. Yeah, and then you go to diner and you're like, oh, you're here. Like, yeah. so um, while we were eating at Leo the other day, this the someone walked in to begin their shift and I saw her and totally recognized her and, and Fernando was like, you remember her? And I used to, and she used to be a manager also at Roman's. And so the fact that they're working together now was like very, made Amazing. me really happy. Okay. So we go to Leo Perfect. and um, we're going to get espresso martinis yep. <laughs> and Caesar and a pie. Yeah. And just like sort of just warm up around that. Perfect. The pomodorini, I think, is the one. That okay. one with the pepper, the banana pepper pizza. Yes. That's my favorite. Um, Because I want to have like a couple drinks there and then maybe like have a place that would be a walking destination yep. so that you get the lovely experience of that day, the day buzz. Yes. And then when you go... You're outside and you're like, wow, it's so bright. Yeah. Like, people are amazing. Part, yes. <laughs> and I'm trying to think where I want to walk after that because now I want like spicy, you know, I want Vietnamese food or I want. Have you been to Ha Ha Ha, the vegan Mexican restaurant? No. Okay. So it's one of my favorite restaurants. Okay. And it's on, we could walk there. It's towards the, it's like by Domino Park uh, towards perfect. the water in Williamsburg. So we oh, could perfect. walk down. Okay. Um, great margaritas, but really one of my favorite restaurants and like it, the fact that it's vegan has nothing to do with it. Oh. It's just like so good. Great. And there's a, there's a lot of spicy options there. Okay. So we could ha ha ha. Yep. And then maybe we could go over to Missy and just get some gelato. Perfect. <laughs> and a nightcap. And a nightcap. And now Missy. it's like 9.15. Yes. It's great. It's perfect. You Sun can tech. get in like an episode of Below Deck <laughs> before you have to like go to sleep. Yeah. And just ooh, a little car home for Missy on the water up down Kent. Wow. That's a perfect day out. Love I'm really it. excited about it. Okay, good. Okay, great. Looking right. forward to it. Text Thank you me. so well, much for doing Yes, I will. Thank you so much for doing the show. This was so, was so such fun. such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Going Out with Jake Cornell. If you could please go and rate and review us on whatever you're listening to this on, that would be really gorgeous for me in a huge way. So thank you. And now for some credits. 
Going Out with Jake Cornell is recorded in New York City and produced by Keith Beavers and Katie Brown. The music you're hearing is by Darby Seesai. The cover art you're probably looking at was photographed by M. Cooper and designed by Danielle Grinberg. And a special shout out to VinePair co-founders Josh Mallon and Adam Teeter for making all of this possible. <laughs>